All right, let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your beautiful presence. And we thank you that as we come around the continual um, subject of the grace of God today, I just ask Holy Spirit that you would just speak through me, that this message would be very clear, very succinct. But more than that, it would actually transform us because something in our mind would be renewed or something in our mind would click into its right place. We would understand, God, the power of the grace that you've extended to us and for what purpose you've given it to us. And so today I pray, empower us as your church. Spirit of God, move upon our hearts and our minds and let your word breathe life to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So one spring, beautiful day in Tasmania, when I was in grade five, our principal came into our classroom and addressed the whole classroom and said, we believe that somebody has been caught with firecrackers in the school. And we need you to understand that firecrackers are dangerous. And if you are caught with firecrackers at school, whether you like them or not, you will be expelled. We need you to understand how important this announcement is. Now, the funny thing about this is I wasn't really thinking of firecrackers at all until he made mention of it. And so as soon as he made mention of it, uh, the bell went to the end of the day and I couldn't stop thinking, firecrackers, I've got a mate who's got some firecrackers. And so on the way home, walking from school, I took a mate with me. We went and saw another friend who had the firecrackers and we got some crackers. Now, if the principal hadn't mentioned that firecrackers were bad and you would be expelled from school if you bought them, I wouldn't have ever been in trouble in the first place because I wouldn't have thought of firecrackers. But instead being me, I got a packet of little Tom Thumbs. Anyone know what Tom Thumbs are? Just the little ones and they string them all together and they're brilliant. You can hold them in your finger and your thumb and I don't suggest you do that. In fact, firecrackers are illegal in Victoria. Don't go there. But now that I've mentioned it, and if you're like me, you'll probably go out and try and find some firecrackers. So the following morning, after the principal's announcement, I took these firecrackers to school. Why? I don't know. And so I said to my friend, let's go into the cloakroom and let's scare all our friends in the classroom and say, we're going to light the firecrackers. So I got one of my little gullible friends, Leadership 101 right there, and I said, hey, listen, if you hold the middle fuse there, we'll light the tail bit, and then if you hold it really tight, then the, then the fuse will stop there, burn out, and then you know, we'll, we'll just pretend we're going to light it, and everyone's going to go, oh, they're going to light the firecrackers. And of course, it'll get to your finger and your thumb, and the fuse will go out. Great theory. So we're getting all excited in the classroom, we're going, oh. Firecrackers are in the cloakroom, so it's this little enclosed space. And I lit the fuse. I always light the fuse. What is wrong with me? I lit this fuse. And we all know that if you've got your finger and your thumb attached to the fuse, it's going to get burnt. And so as soon as the, the fire got to his 
thumb and his finger. He let this go with a scream as it burnt him. And the fuse went, and then it was it. World War I took off in the cloakroom. There was 25, I think there's 25 or 26 on one slab. And they all went off. And we, we, we dazed out of the cloakroom in this smoke and white paper going everywhere like a machine gun had just gone off. Crazy. And we stagger out sort of a bit deaf because it was pretty amplified in that cloakroom. I was amazed. One, that the principal could be that quick out of his principal office and be at our classroom door before we could even reorient ourselves and stagger out the cloakroom door. I was amazed that the fact that I was told not to do that, that I did it anyway. You cannot imagine, unless you've done this, the noise of those crackers going off in an old school building with high ceilings, polished floors, and solid plaster walls. And the principal looked at us and said, what are you doing? And I just went, long story short, when we got sent home and we came back that afternoon with our parents, the principal just looked at us and said, I don't understand. I just said yesterday, firecrackers are dangerous. They're not allowed at the school. If you bring them, you'll be expelled. I don't understand why your son did that. I still cannot to this day understand why I did that. So let's get this story into the alignment of my message. I don't recall that particular day the grace of God being extended to me through the principle. What I do remember very, very clearly is that the cane was extended to me. They were the good old days where you went to the principal's office and you held your hand out and he whipped you with a cane. The amount of times it was determined according to the thing that you've done. And in this instance, there were five lashings. Just one. It was the right hand. Because the left hand didn't. Anyway, doesn't matter. It's a principle. It reminds me a little bit of a, a book in the Bible, Genesis, where God creates this beautiful garden. And he says, you know, everything in this garden you can enjoy and have and eat the fruit of. But there's this one tree in the middle of the garden that you can enjoy, but do not eat the fruit of it. It's nearly like if God had not have said to Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit of that tree, they probably wouldn't have. But because God made mention of the tree, they were like me. And they've gone, well, evidently it's got to be okay then, doesn't it? If God said, don't eat that tree, don't eat the fruit of that tree. And so we find them eating this and finding punishment at the end of their decision. The only difference is God didn't give them the cane. But it starts to help me to realize our fallen state in humanity that when we're faced with a choice and a decision that often looks like don't do this, 
we find ourselves doing it. Or am I the only person like that? Please help me out here. Does anybody else do this sort of ridiculous behavior? Please let me see your hand. Oh, for a moment there you left me hanging. I thought I was the only rat bag in the world. Wow. So I want to help you understand a principle because I want to know what the purpose of grace is for. So let's have a look at a few likely characters here. Do you remember Thomas? We look at him and we remember him as the doubting disciple. The one who said that he would not believe that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead unless he could see the wounds in Jesus' hands and the, the wound in his side where the spear had pierced him. And I wonder, and I ask the question, why should Thomas have been saved? After all, he was cynical. Uh, he expressed that cynicism to the other disciples. He expressed disbelief, and he certainly didn't have faith. And I think, wow. And we remember this guy. If I mention the word Thomas, most people pull out a dad joke and say, I doubt it. You've heard it before, haven't you? Not just now. All right. Maybe that's been your experience, or maybe that's been my experience. It certainly has. But I look at things like Thomas in the Bible, and I look at the grace, and I go, wow. Um, have I ever needed evidence before I believe the promise of God? Have I ever needed evidence to believe the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life? And I remember when we were moving from Tasmania as a family and taking on our role as youth pastors in Adelaide, and, and we believed that it was a God thing that we would leave Tasmania, leave all of Tanya's family, and that we would move to South Australia. And so we were like a Thomas. We went, you know what, God, if this is you and you're leading us, then I need you to make my house sell. Anyone ever bartered with God? Can I tell you? Give up now. He always wins. Just saying. All right. So I thought to myself, I believe God is calling me to South Australia, but I need the physical evidence just to make sure. What I'm really saying is, I wanted to be able to put my finger in the hand of Jesus or my hand in the side and go, now I believe. I wanted evidence to what the leading of the Holy Spirit was actually leading me into. You ever been there? Yet I want to share this with you. Thomas was surprised by the grace of Jesus because instead of condemning him or abandoning him and saying, you don't deserve it because you didn't believe. That's not the grace that Jesus extended to him. In fact, he appeared before Thomas in a really significant way in front of witnesses. And he says to Thomas, Thomas, come. Put your hand. Now put your finger in my hand. Put your hand in my side. And if you know the story, Thomas didn't do that. He saw and he recognized that moment with Jesus where Jesus extended that grace to him and instead his response was, my Lord and my God. I don't know where you sit in your life right now and what is happening in the circumstances around your life. But I do know this, there are moments where I've been like a Thomas and I've wanted the evidence for the leading of God. And I want to encourage us it's okay. 
The grace of God has an incredible way of helping us realize our humanity and helping us to realize how amazing God is. Thomas was surprised by the grace of God. How about Peter? I love Peter. Peter's a crack up. Peter reminds me of me. Peter would grab the firecrackers. Peter had boasted of being able to stand before all of the persecutors of Jesus and say, Jesus, I will not deny you. You know, we look at Thomas, we go, oh, the doubter. We look at Peter and we go, oh, he's the guy who denied Christ. I want to come back to this in just a moment. The crazy part about it was, I wonder how little Peter actually really knew himself. That very night he denied the Lord three times. He was that ashamed of the fact that he denied Christ those three times. The Bible records that he went away and he wept bitterly because of that denial. I wonder whether you've ever been there. I remember being in high school and I so passionately wanted to be a man of God. And as soon as the pressure got put on and I was in a situation, I remember in the, being in the back of the school bus because that's where all the bullies hung out. And I remember being in the back of the school bus and these people challenging me saying like, so what are you doing on the weekend? Someone told me you, you go to church. Like, are you one of those churches? And I've gone, church? Oh, no, 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 I don't. Oh, wow. Wow, bold demo. I said bold, not bald, all right? Maybe that's why I'm bald. I don't know. But, and I denied and I've gone, what was I doing? There was the opportunity to witness. There was the opportunity to stand up and go, yes, I'm a martyr for Jesus. No, I denied him. Ever been there? It sucks, doesn't it? Can I just state it? You walk away, you feel lower than the lowest. Do you know what I love about the grace of God? Jesus comes to him and he didn't cast him off and said, you know what, you denied me, get lost. You are not worthy to follow me because you denied me. He didn't do that. Instead, Jesus came to Peter and he recommissioned the call of God in his life and in the same way that Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus came and commissioned him three times. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response was, yes, Lord, I do. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Commissioned for service. Pastor them, care for them, lead them, make disciples. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I do, Lord. Three times Jesus repeated the same question in restoration and in recommissioning Peter's life to serve the kingdom of God. What a great God we serve. Peter was amazed at the grace with which Jesus had restored him. What about Paul? Paul's the, the great persecutor of the Christian church. <laughs> he took his hatred to a whole nother level where he watched and uh, agreed with and even carried the coat of the people who stoned Stephen, the first Christian martyr, to death, and he watched on. He took his hatred to a whole nother level when he began to go and seek help in how to persecute and how to kill and destroy the Christian church by punishing believers there. And I look at him and I think, if anyone deserved 
a swift smack around the side of the godly hand of punishment around the head, it would be him. Like, I mean, he's one of those ones where you would definitely pick a phrase like, smite him, O mighty smiter. Yeah? It's true, isn't it? Okay? And yet, I looked at this story today and I... Have I ever been there? Well, no, I've not really killed Christians. And no, I've not really necessarily gone out of my way to organize and orchestrate persecution of the church. But can I tell you, there are times and moments in my life through some of the certain seasons of my youth where I was so disillusioned and so hurt that I began to speak negatively about the church. I began to speak negatively about my experiences in church. I began to bag out the bride of Christ. And in essence, I was like him and I persecuted what God loves. Wonder whether you've ever been there. I'm happy to admit that, that I need the grace of God because all three men that I've talked about, I can identify with absolutely. I wonder where you sit with that. Yet Paul, too, was surprised by the grace that was extended to him. I love in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, we see where he has an encounter with Jesus and Jesus stops him through this bright shining light and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And we see this incredible response where Saul's life is transformed and changed by the presence of God. He gets his name changed to Paul and God commissions him. Jesus commissions him to be the first great missionary to the Gentiles. And this is what Acts 26 says. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are clean by faith in me. What a crazy thought. Surprised by grace? Really, if I was Jesus and I'd confronted these three men, They'd be dead. I wonder sometimes how much we misunderstand the grace of God in our lives. And so I want to go, take us on a journey just quickly over the next 15 minutes. And I want to start with this statement, grace. It's the most common phrase that's made with grace. Grace is what makes us free of the guilt of sin and grants us eternal life. That's the most common phrase that you'll generally hear about the grace of God. The grace is a fascinating subject because for centuries, humanity has battled over the grace of God. I looked up a couple of little stats here. And I discovered that of all of the songs that have ever been written, the one song that has been recorded most by the largest number of different vocal artists is Amazing Grace. Crazy. Blues Festival, going through town, and a song I'm listening to is Amazing Grace. And, I, and it makes me start to wonder, like what is it about this song that inspires so many people to sing it? And even, even those who are, unsaved or, or non-church going people or people who are not walking in relationship with God are happy to sing the words of this song and I believe they experience something when they do. 
this song was written, a classic hymn in, in 1779 by a former slave trader turned preacher, John Newton. And I want to know why this grace that we sing about, we speak about, is so important and what the purpose of it is for my life and your life when we see it demonstrated so clearly in God's Word. So, I'm going to put a slide up. Well, Evan will. I want to look at the two-sided coin of grace. And can I tell you about the two sides of the coin of grace? Each side is a win-win for us. The first side is this, identity. The purpose of grace is to help us in our identity crisis. Because we no longer identify with guilt and shame, failure or sin, because the unmerited favor, the mercy, the compassion, the acceptance, the kindness, the graciousness, the goodwill and divine assistance of God is extended to you and I. Do we need it? Absolutely. You and I both know because I just shared one simple little example out of my life, lighting a firecracker when I was told not to. I need the grace of God because I do stuff that's wrong all the time. Don't have a bad attitude. So what do I do? I have a bad attitude. Don't tell a lie. So what do I do? I tell a lie. What is it about us? We're strange creatures. And yet God's passion and His grace is extended wholeheartedly to us because He sees our value. So the first side of the coin of grace is based in our identity. So let me go back to our three examples. Thomas, he's known as the doubter. But can I tell you, Jesus, Jesus didn't say Thomas the doubter. He never said that. Why do we always tend to gravitate to the negative aspects of people? Thomas, the one who doubted. Well, Jesus came and restored him because he realized that his grace was going to help his identity. He is now favored. He had an encounter with Jesus while everyone else was around and he was sitting there with Jesus and Jesus took away his doubt and demonstrated his favor and he, he set the example and he said, your identity is now a son of God. What about Peter? Peter, the one who denied Christ. Again, we, we often talk about Peter the denier. Well, can I tell you something about the grace of God? Peter is no longer a denier. I believe the Bible clearly states that the grace of God brought him to an identity of he is restored. That was the passion of Jesus three times to say, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Feed my sheep. Be commissioned. Go. Do the things that I've placed in your heart to do. He is a son. See, we remember his denial. But you know what? We can also remember things like his first sermon. Here's an interesting thought. For every once that Peter denied Christ, his first sermon won a thousand souls to Christ. Three times I've denied Christ. Well, let me tell you, my first sermon, 3,000 people are going to get saved. I want that sort of return living in the grace of God. It's just a thought, not a theology, just a thought. Go away, unpackage it, think about it. It's not the only example you're going to find. What about Paul? Paul is no longer known as a persecutor. 
Jesus came, changed his identity, changed his name from Saul to Paul and said, your identity is now forgiven. Why? Because you're a son. And let's look at some scriptures. Next slide. John chapter 1, verse 16. Read it with me. For out of his fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. Wow. Who wants that sort of grace? Do you know what? It's already extended to us. We've actually already got it. But unless we live out of our identity because of grace, we won't experience this because we're not looking for it. We're not expecting it. We're not meditating on it. We're not uh, being conscious of it. But God has already given it to us. Let's not create a theology on one scripture. So let's go to the next one. John chapter 117. For the law was given through Moses, but grace the unearned, undeserved favor of God and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the grace of God. We don't deserve it. We light firecrackers when we're told not to. We don't deserve it and yet we receive it. Romans chapter 6 verse 14, next slide. For sin will no longer be a master over you since you are not under law as slaves, but under unmerited grace as recipients of God's favor and mercy. Is anyone picking up this continual process of favor? 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12. This is our reason for proud confidence. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world in general, and especially towards you with pure motives and godly sincerity, not in human wisdom, but in the grace of God. That is His gracious, loving kindness that leads people to Christ and spiritual maturity. And I want to explain to you very, very simply, this first side of the coin of grace that we get to win in is it reiterates to us our new identity, our relationship with the Father. When you look at your life, do you identify with the, with the moments that you fall short? Do you identify with the moment that you are a sinner? Or do you identify with God's word that says you're a new creation in Christ? You are now a son. If you still call yourself a sinner, let me correct your thinking because you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You were a sinner, but you were saved by grace and you're a new creation because of that grace and you are now in sonship with Christ. Does that mean we stuff up? Yeah, it does. We still have bad attitudes. We still have thoughts that we shouldn't be thinking and all of those sorts of things. But if we continue to look at that moment where we fall short, our identity is still in sinner, not in sonship. I realize I sin. And as soon as I do, I go, Father, I'm sorry. I deliberately chose that in disobedience. But because I'm a son, I want to say sorry because I'm in relationship. Yeah? So I live out of my new identity, which comes through the grace of God. So purpose number one, the grace of God helps us to identify who we are. The second side of the coin of grace, we want to put the next slide up, thanks Evan, is the supernatural enabling to live in that relationship. The divine life 
power and ability of God flowing and operating through us in order to give us the supernatural power and ability for ministry and sanctification. That's the second side of the coin of grace. Can I tell you, if you only live in one side of that grace, you miss a really, really important part of it. Wow, I'm favoured by God. Yay! And then as soon as something goes wrong in my life, I revert back to a new identity, which is now an old identity of sinner. Oh my goodness, now I'm dealing with guilt and shame and condemnation. Now I'm dealing with insecurities. But you know what? God has dealt with those things by His grace and He's helped us to realize that we are now in sonship, in relationship with God. And now He wants us to realize that the second side of that grace is the supernatural enabling of His Holy Spirit to help us live in that relationship. We need both sides. We need a balance. Thomas is no longer a doubter. This side of this grace tells me that he's now an experiencer. I don't, we sung it today. I want to experience your presence. Well, you know what? The greatest way we do that is when we realize our own humanity and our own weakness and our own shortfallings before God and we feel his presence, experience his presence, be loved on by His presence and we realize how important we are to the Father. Well, are some people more favored than others? Well, let me ask you this. If I've got five kids up here, they're all mine, and you say, all right, I need you to pick two because I want to give them a gift. I can't do that. I'm a dad. I don't favor my children. I, I, I always tell them, you're my favorite. And I tell them all that. And they come every now and again, they say, Dad said I'm his favorite. And he goes, oh, Dad told me that too. They need to know. We need to know I'm God's favorite. I don't know about you. I don't know where you sit in your relationship with God, but God looks at me and I'm his favorite. I'm really special to him. Not because I'm anything special in myself, but I'm special in the fact that he has made me a new creation through the grace of God and I now have an identity as a son. He's not going to choose me over you or you over me. We're all his kids. He chooses all of us. So Thomas is no longer a doubter. He's an experiencer. Why? Because he's a son. Peter is no longer a denier of Christ. He is a bold disciple maker, a son of God. Why? Because the supernatural enabling of the grace of God has taught him to say, you know what, I don't care what you think, I'm here to please my heavenly father. Paul is no longer a persecutor of the church, he is a world changer because he's a son of God. Let's have a look at this next scripture. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Say that with me, great grace. Say it again. Great grace. Say that five times really fast. Great grace, great grace, great, great. All right. Great grace was upon them all. I find it interesting that great power and great grace are in the same context. God has graced you. God has graced me with his Holy Spirit. 
And I want to remind you, we hear it thrown about all the time, but this is what makes the difference. The fullness of God lives in us. For what reason? So that we experience the great grace of God that enables us to be the ambassador of His kingdom, to be the son or the daughter of God, to be commissioned to works of service, to go into all the world and see nations changed and shaped because Jesus so loved the world. Let's have a look at the next verse. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This grace grows. There's an understanding, there's a maturity of this grace. I wasn't always this bold because I, I didn't always understand this. Now, you can argue black and blue. I don't care whether you argue with me. I live this. Do I fall flat on my face sometimes? Yes, I do. And so will you. And that's okay because that's now my identity. I guarantee there's not one person in this room that ever learnt to walk that didn't fall over before they walked 10 steps. See, we're going to realize grace empowers us for the journey of maturity, that we become more Christ-like. Next slide. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in this grace. And last, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace. Everyone say all grace. Great grace. Strong grace. Grow in grace. You didn't really repeat it. I don't think you've got it. Let me encourage you with this. Let me encourage you with this. And God is able. Not God might one day if he feels good. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. His unmerited favor, loving kindness, goodness, all of that stuff, and the supernatural enabling to walk through what it is in your journey right now because it's about Him in us. He's able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, have an abundance for every good work. The supernatural enabling of God through His grace enables us to serve the King. To serve Jesus so that we can accomplish everything that God wants us to accomplish. I reckon this is an awesome message. It's a message that I'm going to continue to preach for the rest of my life. Because I don't want a one-sided coin. I don't want to flip a coin and say, one day, oh, am I experiencing grace or not? Heads or tails. That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to flip the coin and say, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Both sides. Both sides of grace. The ability to experience identity through relationship with the Father and the ability to experience His presence supernaturally enabling us to live in that relationship. God never left us to fail. Every test I see of our character in God's Word shows me that God wants us to win. God wants us to pass every test. But He knows that sometimes we're going to take the firecrackers when we shouldn't. And so He gives us grace so that we always 
go round again and we hear the principal's voice. Don't bring the firecrackers to school, Rob. And Rob goes, that's right. That's a bad move. Right, no firecrackers for me. The children of Israel experienced it. They went around the mountain. Stuffed up, go around the mountain again. Why? Because God is very intentional about building our character and building our relationship and our trust in Him. And that happens because our identity is in Him and we understand that His presence now supernaturally enables us to live in that grace for His purpose. Don't you stand to your feet with me? We're going to pray. You're always very quiet tonight. Say, great grace. Grow in grace. Strong in grace. All grace. Amazing grace. <laughs> Put your hand on the person's shoulder next to you and let's pray together as a family. Father, we thank you. That is by grace that we stand. It's by your grace, God, that we accomplish the things that you set in motion for us to achieve. It's by your grace, God, that we even stand here together and realize that we are loved, we're forgiven, and we are given a new identity in Christ. It's by grace that we have the opportunity to prophesy and to speak into other people's lives. It's by grace that we get to lead. It's by grace we get to preach this incredible message. It's by grace, God, that we get to see the world changed because the love of Christ dwells in us and has transformed us. I pray that for each and every one of us, as we would go through the journey of life, even this week, God, like Thomas or like Peter or like Paul, we would realize that our past no longer dictates who we are today because you have changed our identity. We're not a denier. We're not a doubter. We're not a persecutor. We're loved. We're experiences of your presence. We're people of boldness and power. We're people who can change the world because the presence of God lives in us. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that we would take this simple word and realize the two sides of grace on this coin is a win-win for us because you always set us up to pass the test. Thank you that even when we face temptation, Paul writes it in Corinthians, even when we face temptation, you always lead us to that place where our character is tested, but you always give us a way out. So I pray that you make us strong and make us bold. Give us opportunity this week to boldly love people that you place in our lives and see transformation take place in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.